Good to be with you. Uh, my name's Matthew Bolte, and this is uh, my wife and co-worker and ministry partner, uh, Kathy. And it's just a delight to be here with you. We've been here all weekend, and it's just really exciting to be here in Geelong and see what God is doing and stirring. Now, this evening, we want to uh, kind of step it up a little bit, because this morning we talked about how churches that pray together impact cities. And we unpacked that from the Scriptures but tonight, we want to take that up a level and, and, and begin to look at the fact that churches that pray and fast together impact nations. So uh, this is a serious call, uh, not just to uh, look around here, but to look to the ends of the earth and what it is that God is calling us to. Because Jesus in, uh, in Luke uh, chapter uh, 12 and verse 31 called us, asked us, he says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. And that's what we're wanting to focus on, focusing and seeking God's kingdom above all else. And he says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So this is an amazing deal that our Heavenly Father wants to give the kingdom to people just like us, followers of Jesus. And that's a serious challenge because it's big enough just thinking about your neighbours next door, but let alone the South Pacific or Africa or the Middle East or, or Europe taking us to the ends of the earth. So we want to begin to look in the scriptures to see how does God do this? Because it's actually a stirring of God's spirit in the hearts of believers. He's the one who stirs us with his heart to go to where he calls us. But how do we put ourselves in a position to be used by God? And that's a really important question. I'm not trying to give you a formula tonight to say if you do one, two, three, four, I think there's five points, five, then God's going to do amazing things. But I do know that if we're prepared to be totally available and radically obedient to what the Lord has called us to and put ourselves in a position, then we're able to be used by Him mightily and powerfully. I want to use as an example tonight to begin with the church in the book of Acts called Antioch. Now this morning we looked at the church in Jerusalem and after about six or seven months of the church being born in Jerusalem, the whole of Jerusalem knew about the Lord Jesus and they were really passionate about praying together. But we want to, get, we want to go up a level and have a look at this church in Acts chapter 11 and Acts chapter 13 to look at the church in Antioch because this was a church that took it to a serious next level and they reached the nations. In fact, the gospel got taken to Europe from this church, Antioch, which is in Syria, and the gospel touched and went from there all over the planet. So this is a seriously amazing church. So let's have a look at how they put themselves in that position to be used by God. Starting in Luke chapter 11, let's pick it up in verse 19. 
says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them and a large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. When the church of Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. I'm just going to pause there. And the first point I want to make about a church that's available to the Lord to be even used to take the gospel to the nations, the first thing that we see here is that they have a really unique New Testament leadership structure. Now, you might think that's a bit odd talking about structure in church. But up until this point in the church, they had apostles and deacons. But here in this church, we see a mixture of five different ministries functioning in leadership. You can follow this up in Acts chapter 4 if you want to. But here in this church, we see quite clearly God using evangelists, God using apostles, God using pastoral pastors, God using teachers and God using prophets. Now, there's a big biblical term for that. It's called a five-fold ministry, but we don't need to get hung up on that. But what God has got here is not just one person in charge, but, but there's a group of leaders who carry all sorts of different hearts and passions. The evangelists turned up in Antioch. Now up until this point, the gospel had been preached to people who had Jewish background. Now there was some preaching to those who were Greek, but here in Antioch, they they. They stepped outside of the box and said, we're going to preach to all these people who speak in Greek. Now that's a serious deal when when usually everybody else has been speaking to people who speak Aramaic or Hebrew. And they stepped right out of the cultural box and these guys were from Syria, uh, from Cyprus and Cyrene. So they're North Africans and from an island in the Mediterranean, and they're coming into Syria, which is, which is Arabic in cultural structure. So they stepped outside of their culture to declare the love of the Lord Jesus. That's seriously challenging. Now, the good thing about being in Geelong is you don't have to go too far to step outside your cultural box because you've got the nations here, which is really awesome. But have you noticed it's sometimes relatively difficult to cross over that cultural barrier? 
Well, the gift of evangelism allows you to step over that. Why? Because you've got a heart to share the good news about Jesus to who will ever stop and listen to you. And you don't care where they come from or what's happened in their life. You just want them to know how cool Jesus is. That's the evangelist. Now, they kind of, they're generally extroverted kind of, you know, in your face type of people, but not everybody is like that. When the leaders of the church who were in Jerusalem heard about what was going on, now these leaders, they had a posh name, they were called apostles. And they had an oversight of what was happening. And they thought, man, this is amazing. So they decided that they needed to send to this city another kind of gifted person. And they sent Barnabas to this place. Barnabas, he just loved on people. Now, um, this lady who prayed here, what was her name? Robin, the lady who prayed for your two youth leaders. Robin, did you hear how she just loved on them in prayer? Like loved all over them, you know, like it was just, it was just one big sloppy lovey prayer. Well, that's really cool. That's, that's our pastor's heart, all right? Now, if you got someone up here to pray for these dudes who was an evangelist, this is how they would have prayed. Get out there and tell them about Jesus. Amen. But... But the pastor just like, oh, we're so oh, thankful. We, oh, Lord, isn't this so good? To, and we've seen them grow up from here. Oh, Lord. That's, that's who the leaders sent into this church. That's who they sent. Barnabas. Now, Barnabas has got a really cool name. And if you know all your Greek and stuff, you can look this up. But Barnabas, his name is Parakletos. Now, if you know your Greek, the word for Holy Spirit is paraclete. So Barnabas's name means the same as Holy Spirit because the name of the Holy Spirit means the encourager, the one who comes alongside, puts his arm around you and says, come on, let's have another go. I know you tripped over, but let's have a go again. That's the kind of person that they sent into this church. After they'd released the in-the-face evangelist, the apostolic oversight was making sure that people got loved on. And the person who was doing all the loving, Barnabas, he said, now these guys need a bit more than just getting loved on and hearing the gospel. They need a Bible teacher to come in here and instruct them on the foundational truths about the faith. So he went and got Paul and brought Paul in and Paul stayed there for a couple of years teaching them from the Scriptures. Now if a teacher was praying for this couple out here, it wouldn't be get out and tell them about Jesus. It would be, oh Lord, we just love them. It'd be, now the Word of God says that those called into the ministry are called into a difficult time. That's how they would pray. They would be quoting Scripture and, and encouraging and grounding. Every, you, you seriously need that. You need people who are going to instruct you in God's Word so that you know the truth and you know what a lie is so that you're not blown around all over the place by all kinds of weird, crazy stuff. And there's plenty of weird, crazy stuff out there. Have you noticed? Just open your phone and have a look. I mean, it's there everywhere, isn't it? How are you going to know what's real and what's not? That's because God supplies teachers into the body of Christ. And the final piece that God brought in was a prophet. So into this church that's been stirred up by evangelists, has been loved on by a, a pastor, 
who's been taught by a teacher and there's this apostolic oversight, into there comes a prophet to speak a, thus says the Lord. And so if a prophet was praying for these two up here, this is how this would go. I see much fruit coming from your life, thus says the Lord, be obedient, amen. And that, that would be a prophet. And you see the different kind of styles? It's so important in a church that you hear all those different voices or styles in your leadership structure. This church in Antioch had that. Let me just remind you what the leadership of a church, what their purpose is. Now don't switch off because you're not a leader. You need to hear this because you can hold your leaders to account and say, hang on, I heard this guy on Sunday night say, this is what you're supposed to do. Well, I can tell you from Ephesians chapter four, this is what the leadership of the church and these young guys who are just appointed as youth leaders, are you listening? Here's your role. First role is to equip the believers for works of service. You're to equip them so that they are totally available to be used by the Lord. The second thing that leaders do is so that you're to build up believers until their faith matures. You're to teach and instruct them so that they're prepared to be radically obedient. You're to ensure that believers are not blown around by every silly wind of weirdo doctrine. You are to help them grow their roots deep down into the Lord Jesus. And finally, as a leader, your responsibility is to ensure that all the believers fit together, are jointed or built together in humility and interdependence. That's the role of leaders. And this church in Antioch, they had that. And that was an amazing building block for what they had. But they did more than that. That put them in a position for God to begin to use them because all these believers were beginning to be built up, encouraged, equipped, trained, put together, built as a team. But this church was also prepared to listen to and respond to a word from the Lord. In verse 27 of Acts 11, it reads like this. During this time, some prophets travelled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea. They heard a word from the Lord and they acted on it. They were prepared to be open that God might want to speak to them and not only speak to them, but put feet on that. And it wasn't the prophet who put the feet on it. It was the leadership of the church who put feet on it and asked for an offering to be taken up. And they sent Barnabas and Saul down to Jerusalem with the money. Here is the first missionary test for Barnabas and Saul. You think about that. You're given a pocket full of money. Well, no, probably a bag full of money and told to walk down to Jerusalem. Well, you could have stopped at every Macca's on the way down and spent the whole lot before you. No one would know. 
It was a test of their integrity. And they clearly did well because we're going to see a little bit later on what happens to Paul and Barnabas. So this was a church that was prepared to listen to a word from the Lord and act upon it. Thirdly, they were a generous church. They heard what was going to happen to their brothers and sisters in Judea. Now, now again, I need to underline, they were from a different cultural background. And they gave generously to help their brothers and sisters, the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and these people were from Arabic background. That goes against everything you see at the moment in our world. John Wesley put it this way when talking about giving and generosity. He says, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. That's a really cool little kind of life statement. Earn all you can, work hard, save all you can, but you don't, don't spend it on yourself. Save all you can so that you can give all you can. So this church now is beginning to grow and mature into, into a vibrant fellowship. People are getting saved. The church is growing. They've got a solid leadership structure, which includes evangelists. It includes pastors. It includes Bible teachers. They've got apostolic oversight. They're prepared to listen to prophetic words and act upon it. Now the Holy Spirit kicks it up a gear to prepare this church to be able to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Turning over to Acts chapter 13, listen to this, beginning the first couple of verses there. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manum, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day, as these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, Dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and went down to the seaport of Seleucia where they sailed for the island of Cyprus. This church added fasting to their weaponry. They were already a praying church. And we saw this morning that praying churches impact entire cities. But this church has jumped a level now because they're prepared not only to give finances, but to sacrifice their bodies for the work of the gospel. I know it's not popular to talk about these kind of things, but you need to understand what the Scriptures teach us about the power of prayer with fasting. Prayer with fasting focuses us on the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Prayer with fasting humbles us because our bodies are hungry and weak. 
prayer with fasting helps us hear God's voice more clearly. Jesus went into the desert and prayed and fasted for 40 days to hear God's voice. Prayer with fasting helps learn obedience through suffering. Oh, bother. And prayer with fasting demolishes strongholds. It is a mighty weapon in the hand of the Lord. I want to tell you a story about a young Presbyterian minister in the 1820s and 1830s. That's just a few years ago. His name was Reverend Daniel Nash. He had a reasonably large church of a couple of hundred people and people were regularly being saved and it was a growing church. He laid all that down and walked away from that to become the prayer warrior for the revival evangelist, Charles Finney. You might have heard of that name actually. Charles Finney was a great revival preacher in the 1820s and 1830s. Thousands of people in the United States came to the Lord Jesus through Finney's teaching. What you might not know is Daniel Nash, who was commonly known as Father Nash, he would go to the town that Finney was about to come to a couple of weeks beforehand and rent out a little room and sometimes with a few other prayers, but mostly on his own, he would spend that two or three weeks praying and fasting and crying out to God for the salvation of those people in that town. And he would weep and cry on his face on the floor for day after day after day crying out, oh Lord, soften their hearts. Oh Lord, open their eyes. Oh Lord, open their ears. And he would pray and pray and pray. And sometimes the person who he rented the little apartment off was so worried that they hadn't seen this person come or go. They would sneak there and open the door and there's Nash and sometimes his friends flat on the floor, weeping and crying out for the lost. And after three or four weeks, the Lord would say to them after this kind of serious, a serious prayer, it's done. Then they would send message to Finney and say, it's ready. And the evangelist, Charles Finney, would turn up and preach and thousands would respond to the gospel just like that. Why? Because someone had done the hard yards in prayer with fasting beforehand. Oh, guys, this is... This is a really powerful tool in the church. And it doesn't matter whether you're young or old. If you're really serious about seeing the gospel go to the ends of the earth, then prayer and fasting needs to be part of your weaponry. And finally after upping the ante with prayer, with fasting, this church in Antioch was a missionary sending church. They didn't keep everybody at home. In fact, they sent their best. They sent their pastor that loved all over everybody and they sent their very best Bible teacher, Saul. And that's what we picked up. That's what we heard. And the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the task to which I have called them. And so they prayed and fasted some more, laid hands on these guys, just like your youth workers had hands laid on them this morning. And they were sent out to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And they ended up in Europe from the Middle East. And the gospel ended up in Greece and Rome because this church was prepared to take God's call on their life corporately really seriously. And they were prepared to send their best. We were with a church earlier this year in Sydney, a Korean church. And they sent their senior pastor permanently to the Middle East. on Their senior pastor, you know, the one in charge. They sent them because it said, we want to send our best. So they sent their senior pastor and many of their youth leaders and many of their worship team. So they had to train up more pastors and more youth leaders and more worship team and train them up. And when they're trained up and they're really firing and good, guess what's going to happen? They're going to send them to the Middle East again. And they send them over there to go into places like Syria to gather up all those kids who've been orphaned through all those shocking wars and atrocities that have happened in that place because they want to care for these kids and tell them about Jesus so that a whole pile of wild guys don't get them and and turn them into terrorists. That's their strategy. Guys, that's a kingdom strategy. That That is seriously hardcore. They sent these missionaries out And a little bit later, Paul and Barnabas come back to the church and report to them. You see, they were accountable to the church. The really important thing about having hands laid on and sent out is that you're accountable to the church and the church is accountable for you. They're the ones that are supposed to be praying. So guys, you laid hands on these youth leaders this this afternoon, this evening, wherever we are, this evening. Guess what? As a church, you're responsible to be praying for them. Can I hear those two youth leaders say amen to that? The church is responsible. They laid hands on you and set you aside. So they're accountable to the Lord for praying for you. But you need to come and regularly report to the church and tell them what's been going on to stay under their covering and accountable. That's how it works. That's the body. That's that's how church is supposed to work. And there's all these different flavours of evangelists and pastors and and the apostolic oversight and the the teachers and the prophet. It's all working together. And they add to that prayer with fasting and, and, and they're reaching the nations. Do you have a heart for the nations? Because a little later on, you're going to be given an opportunity to respond to that and say, yes, Lord, I'm available. Churches that pray and fast affect and impact nations. I've got time for one more story. Let me take you to 1784 in the Midlands of England. Now, 1784, a bit of a history lesson. When did the first fleet arrive in Australia? 17... 
88. Okay, this is four years before the first fleet arrived in, uh, in Port Jackson in Sydney. In 1784, in a little village in the Midlands of England, in a Baptist church, hello, we're sitting in a Baptist church right now, there was a young trainee preacher by the name of William Carey. And he was being examined, as it were, by the ordained Baptist ministers of that region to see you know, if he was good enough to be ordained and, and, and let loose on the congregations. William Carey was actually a bootmaker and he was passionate, not for a small little local congregation in Great Britain, but he was passionate for the ends of the earth. He had made a globe of the world out of leather and used to pray over it. He used to read all the reports that came back from the great explorers of the day, Captain Cook being one of those, and study those nations that he went and look at, oh, what are those people there like in Tahiti? And what are they? And, and pray for them. He had a heart for the nations. And so he began to give this presentation to the Baptist ministers in this little village of Oni. And halfway through his presentation, the crusty old leader of the Baptist ministers in this area said something like this, Mr. Carey, sit down and be quiet. We don't need that. If God wants to save all those people out there, he'll do that without your help. Thank you very much. Sit down and be quiet. Um, that's not the gift of encouragement, by the way. That's the gift of stodginess, of coldness of heart. And there were two other ministers, Baptist ministers in that meeting when they saw what happened to this young firebrand by the name of William Carey. Do you know your history, by the way? Do you know what Carey is, is commonly known as? The father of modern day missions. But these guys, the, the head of the church said, sit down and be quiet. Two ministers in that meeting were so distressed and broken in their heart that the Baptist church had got to such a cold, hard place in 1784 that they'd tell a potential young preacher who had a heart for the ends of the earth to pull their head in. And, and they were grief-stricken. Now, 1784, it was only in the 1740s that wildfire revival had spread all across England, Scotland, Ireland and Wales under Wesley and Whitfield. People were being saved by the truckload. But only 40 years later, stone, hold car, stone cold hard. And these two ministers, Reverend Sutcliffe and Reverend Fuller, were just beside themselves with anguish. And they were clearly took, taken off and praying about that and waiting on the Lord. And I don't have time to tell you all the story. But the light bulb goes on for Reverend Sutcliffe and he goes, Oh, of course, we haven't been praying. We haven't been a praying church. So he goes back to all these stodgy old cold-hearted ministers and says, we need to start prayer here in the Baptist church in this little village. And we need to get the other Baptist churches praying as well. And we need to invite the Anglicans and the Methodists to come and join us. And here's what we're going to pray for. And this is what we're going to organise once a month, every, on the first Tuesday, of first Monday of every month, we are going to gather people together and cry out to God to revive the church so the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. That's the exact invitation that they sent out to all the other churches. 
Come and join us and pray because we're in a seriously bad spot. We need God to revive the church so the gospel will go to the ends of the earth. And as they began to gather and pray, the Holy Spirit fell on that prayer meeting like a bushfire and prayer meetings went bang, 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 all around England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales and the United States within a very short period of time. And there are prayer groups all over those nations crying out to God to pour out His Spirit to revive the church so the Gospel will go to the ends of the earth. Do you think your Heavenly Father likes that kind of prayer? Yeah. Because that's a desperate prayer, friends. To ask God to revive the church is admitting that we've gone to sleep and we're dead. See, reviving is bringing something back to life. So you can only revive something that is dead. So it's very humbling to say, we're dead, Lord, can you do something? That's what they were crying out for. And can you... Bring us back to life so that we do what you've called us to do, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. As a result of those prayer meetings that started in this little village in Oni, in the Baptist church, the eight great British missionary societies were launched within a very short period of time after that. So the Baptist Missionary Society was begun very soon after this prayer started. So was the Presbyterian Missionary Society, the Methodist Missionary Society, the Church Missionary Society, which is the Anglican version of that, the, the, uh, the Bible Society, the Society for the Propagation of Christian Literature and the Christian Mission to the Jews. All started and inaugurated in a very short period of time after the church began to cry out to God in humility, oh God, revive us. Interestingly, at that very first prayer meeting in that little village of Oni in 1784, there was an Anglican minister there. You might have heard of his name. His name was Reverend John Newton. Heard that name before? No? Have you heard of the song Amazing Grace? He wrote that. Reverend John Newton was the Anglican minister in that little village of Oni and he went to that first prayer meeting. Newton had a passion for the lost. He had a passion to see the church revived. Not long after that, and he began praying, he was transferred to London and he hung out with his very good friend, William Wilberforce. Have you heard of that name before? The guy, the Christian guy who was a politician who stopped slavery. So Wilberforce and Newton used to get together and pray and hang out and, and talk. And Wilberforce told Newton, oh, did you know, by the way, that the government is about to send a fleet of convict ships to start a new colony in a place we're going to call New South Wales. And so Reverend Newton and William Wilberforce agreed together that they needed to put on one of those ships a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching man and woman of prayer. And they hand-picked Reverend Richard Johnson, the very first chaplain to the colony of New South Wales, and they trained him for three years. And so when Reverend Richard Johnson got on the first fleet and stepped off on the shores of this nation, 
It was a direct result of the praying men and women of the United Kingdom crying out to God to pour out His Spirit to revive the church so the Gospel might go to the ends of the earth. How far is Sydney Harbour from London? The ends of the earth. Friends, when churches get together and pray and plead with God and fast, the gospel goes to the ends of the earth. Are you prepared to be available for that? Are you prepared to say, Yes, Lord, I got a heart for this? Yes, Lord. Now, I need to warn you as a church that if you've got people who are going to say, yes, Lord, I'm available, you're going to have to up your level of prayer here. Because not only have you got new youth leaders to pray for, you're going to have a truckload of missionaries to pray for who, who have got a heart to go to who knows where. But the Father knows where He wants to send them. And it might be just to Melbourne because they need the gospel in there. Or, or it might be to Moldova. I don't know. The time for being asleep in the church is over. Can you hear the Lord calling you to be totally available? and radically obedient. And it may well mean that you have to deny your own physical needs and spend significant amounts of time in prayer and fasting with other believers seeking God for his strategy for the nations he's calling you to. Can I have the worship team up on the stage, please? Kathy, would you come and join me, please? I think there was a microphone somewhere there. Would you like to pray, particularly over these young people who've just heard that? Let's pray. Father of all nations, thank you that you have a heart for every young person, every child, every man, every woman of every language, every tongue, every culture in the nations of the earth. And Father, tonight we hear you calling. Lord, there are jobs available, but where are the workers? We hear you calling. Who will go for me? Who will I send? And Father, the only biblical response to that is those people who will put their hand up and say, Here am I. Send me. And though you think you don't have much to offer, that you don't know how to speak another language, though you think you don't have money even to go to another country. If you will say to the Lord Jesus, if you will go with me, 
I'll do it. I know I can't do it on my own, but I know if you're always with me, beside me, leading and encouraging me, instructing me in what I should do, I know I can do all things through you who will give me strength and who will supply all of my need. So, Father, if you are calling young people this evening to go for you, to represent you in the nations, would you begin to stir in their hearts right now? Would you begin to speak softly and tenderly to them of what your plan is for their life. And I ask you, Lord, to equip them with everything that they need for the task. And I ask, Lord, too, that this church would be equipped to pray and fast and support those who go, who represent them among the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.